It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me? Or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. There are rational reasons why someone would want to leave the border area, which has been, which just has this influx of undocumented migrants, and go to areas uh, that might have better employment possibilities uh, or better levels of support. And you know, they what they're arguing here is that this is an illegal transport of migrants. If that was the case, then Joe Biden would be the biggest coyote ever, right? I mean, he's, he's transferring thousands of people across the country. Also, public interest organizations uh, transfer migrants. All of them are saying, uh, as they need to and need to establish, that this is done with their consent. But there are rational reasons why uh, migrants would want to go to New York or Chicago and away from these border areas. Uh, human trafficking uh, is usually transferring or transporting someone for the purposes of exploiting them for sex or labor. That's not, uh, thankfully, being alleged here with Governor DeSantis. Transportation of individuals occur all the time in the federal government. Governor Newsom his, himself, when he was mayor, I believe, transferred homeless people uh, to other states. Was he kidnapping them? Was that human trafficking? The answer is no. They were vulnerable, but they're allowed to make that consensual choice. Once these migrants are released by the federal government into the country, they have the right to go anywhere they want. And therefore, groups like public interest groups or states can assist them with their consent. All right, so that was the voice of Jonathan Turley, and he is actually weighing in on this whole controversy about uh, Ron DeSantis sending... 50, 50, call them 50 illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard who think the world had ended, that there'd be a nuclear bomb hit on uh, Martha's Vineyard, but not so. So that's the big topic of this week. I'm sitting here on the top of the uh, Fox News Channel headquarters here in Washington, D.C. It's a beautiful, beautiful morning, and sitting across from me is my good friend Mark Kikorian. Mark is the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. We haven't talked in so long, Mark. It's great to see you. Glad to be here. Thanks for joining me. Good to see you again in person. Uh, yeah, good to see you in person, too. Um, you just had an article that is that just came out a couple of days ago with the coroner regarding this whole Martha's Vineyard thing. And you always have such great insight. I, I, we've heard a lot of talk about it now. But what is your perspective on what, what's happening here? What I tried to, what I wrote about um, was why was the freakout so bad about this event? Because, like you said, it's just 50 people. And um, it was even worse a freakout than the busing of, of people from Texas and Arizona, which is much larger numbers of people to New York and to Chicago and to D.C., and what I think it is, is that it was so ludicrous. It was the hypocrisy was so over the top that this wealthy retreat for the lefty rich and famous, that's, you know, a sanctuary city and they have the signs on their lawns, you know, no human being is illegal. 
after in in a day and a half, they quickly bum rushed them out of there with the army. 125 troops right, to take 50 to take 50 out. people to the mainland and get them away from you know uh, Obama's mansion and all the other mansions that are there. And you know what I think it was, is that it exposed them to ridicule, to mockery, and. Um, I don't know if people are familiar with Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. He was a lefty who had these, you know, rules about how to engage in politics. Hillary Clinton's mentor, right, we should exactly, interject. Exactly. But th- he's, he was a smart guy. And one of his rules, rule number five, is that ridicule is man's most powerful weapon, is that your opponent has no defense against ridicule, and they react in bad ways that hurt them. And that's, I think, what was going on here. The, essentially, what Santos was, DeSantis was doing was ridiculing the pretensions of these lefty sanctuary city people. And even people in the middle who aren't very political could see how hilarious that effort was. And I think that's why the left and the media, but I repeat myself, reacted so viscerally to this, even more than the earlier examples of busing people. Let me just illustrate your point. We have a clip of Charlemagne the God, he calls himself, yeah, right. small G, I Hopefully hope. A small I hope G. he thinks he's a small G. <laughs> Charlemagne the God, he's the one that, uh, he's a big, uh, not big, big physically, he's a black host, he's pretty colorful. And pretty lefty, too, And pretty generally. lefty, yeah. yes. And so he had some things to say about DeSantis. This is clip three. Let's listen. For months, Republican governors have sent busloads of illegal immigrants to sanctuary cities like New York, D.C., and Chicago with the message of, if you like them so much, they're yours, okay? Well, just in time for Hispanic Heritage Month, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis upped the game by sending two plane folds of immigrants to the East Coast elite's favorite vacation island, Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. I personally think it's genius. But I wish that governors like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott would give Democratic governors and mayors more of a heads up because then that would expose the hypocrisy of the Democrats, which is they don't want immigrants here either. All right. So, see, it just proves your point. Right. I mean, it, 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 and, what it, and what it does is it shows that the fight really politically, not just on immigration, but on a whole variety of issues in our country now, is less a left-right fight than an up-down one because... You know, Martha's Vineyard, I don't know how many, if all your listeners are familiar, I've only been there once, but, you know, Obama has a mansion there, all kinds of Hollywood people, big shots from New York, wealthy people. It is a place for the rich and famous to to summer. They use summer as a verb in this place. Yeah. And, you know, most of those people are gone now. There's hundreds of empty bedrooms there. Why didn't they just put them up in uh, Obama's mansion? And jobs. They said there were no jobs, no place for them. There, uh, they, Someone pulled the job listings. They've you know, chefs, housekeepers, all kinds of jobs. So that was just a big lie. And to kind of factor this in, um, since we talked, before, we've never talked about this, but you are Armenian, you're a de- deacon? A deacon, a deacon the Armenian, Armenian Orthodox, Orthodox Church, okay, so, Church, right. All right, so i just going to mention, and the Episcopal Church has been one of the leaders in, you know, welcoming, we, no hate here, right. uh, whatever. And they, they're the ones that led the charge to I expedited getting rid of them. As I right. understand it. Interesting. So it's, yep. it's hypocrisy, not only politically, but it's hypocrisy in the church, too. Absolutely. Uh, so where do you think, think this all goes? I mean, Mark, we're in a really, I think, a fight, <clears throat> an ex- existential fight for the soul of this country. And uh, we are, this election really is pivotal. Uh, and so <clears throat> where do you think we're going? Do you think we have enough fight in us to, to pull this thing back? We've got a guy like Ron DeSantis that's brilliant, and that, get, that gives us courage. 
I'd oh, absolutely. I'd fight too. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, despair is a sin, but I don't think there's even reason to be tempted to despair. Yes, things are bad. It's terrible. Um, Biden has let in well over a million illegal aliens into the United States. The numbers you hear about two million are arrests, and some of those people were sent back. But he's actually let in, released into the United States well over a million illegal immigrants. And let's face it, not many of them are going to be thrown out, even if we get a different administration a couple of years from now, because by then they'll have kids and blah, you know, the usual thing. That's all bad. But, you know, um, was it, uh, who was it? Adam Smith, I said, think, said there's a lot of ruin in the nation. In other words, there's a, there's a lot of bad stuff that we can take, a lot of punches we can take and still come back. And I think as that clip you played from Charlemagne the God um, shows, if Republicans can tap into the populist concern that even non-conservatives have, lots of regular people don't like, you know, uh, banks and too many wars and all of that stuff, then I think we really do have a serious chance of turning this around. But they're going to have to do it in the states because federally the, well, the Republican leadership is horrible. Yeah, well, and so, uh, you know, seriously, individual candidates are going to have to take this on and, and uh, you know, talk about what's happening in their areas. And we may get in D.C., we may get some candidates. I mean, we may get some uh, officials who are actually better, depending on how the elections go in November. I mean, J.D. Vance, I kind of know him a little bit, and he's he's the real thing. And so there are other people like that, Blake Masters and others, that, you know, could well start to turn things around even here in D.C. Boy, wouldn't that be something? Well, all right, let's talk about the other sanctuary city mayor. That's the other thing about Martha's Vineyard. It's a sanctuary city, right. sanctuary yep. island. Yep. Which should they, in fact, I heard Suzanne say that uh, on the planes when they were flying the immigrants, right. they, or they handed them you know, brochures of the policies of uh, Martha's Vineyard sanctuary policies. Yeah, online. I mean, you can, can Yeah, you can see pictures of the yeah. materials they yeah, gave. Yeah, so them. but not so much when yeah. they got there, not so much. Okay. So speak to these other so there's Lori Lightfoot in Chicago and there's a Muriel Bowser here in DC and I guess Eric oh, Adams, Eric in, Adams New York, in New York City. Right. So talk about those situations. Yeah, I mean they they have gotten all together something like 11,000 illegal aliens delivered by bus. And also the city of El Paso is busing people, too, not just the state of Texas. Um, that's a day and a half worth of illegal aliens on the southern border. In other words, it's just a little droplet of what the border states are facing. And yet, you know, they're going bonkers. And um, New York Mayor Adams said it was a horrific thing. And um, Mayor Bowser here in Washington declared an emergency, a public emergency in and called on the Pentagon to help her out with for a handful of people, frankly. But besides, you know, after we finish laughing and we need to laugh at them, um, there's a bigger point, and that is that even these people don't particularly want illegal immigration in their communities. And so the question is, so let's work together on fixing this problem at the border. And I don't know. I'm not optimistic that in the short term any of these people are going to be able to be moved. No. Mark, you, one of the things about you, you've been really strong in immigration. You know, you, you've got a great organization tracking all of the, the downsides, but you've also, you always fold in that compassion thing because you, you've always expressed your concern about the immigrants, and I am too. I mean, I, who wants to have these people be hurt or killed or die on the desert without water and food and k killing dogs in order to survive? What kind of a world is that? Who wants that? I just like your, your thoughts about how this is affecting all those that want to come. Yeah, here. we are essentially enticing people 
to take these kind of risks. They're coming through. There's a place in the jungle in Panama, in eastern Panama, where there's no road. So if you're coming from South America, you have to pass through this incredibly dangerous place. A lot of people die or are, are washed away. They're attacked. There are actually bandits in there. Anyway, it's there are, there are dangers all along the way. Women and girls have a very high likelihood of getting raped or abused in some way. In this. And some of this is going to happen no matter what, just because the world is a broken place. But what we're doing is enticing people mm -hmm. to take these risks. But, at the, but, but the response often I hear from libertarians and from people on the left, which at this point on immigration is the same thing, is that, well, if we just let them all in, then they wouldn't have to take these risks. And that's true. So the alternative is either totally open borders, everybody in the world just gets to move here, which is not something we're going to do, or, or should do, or you have a consistent immigration policy that sends a consistent message. Don't try this because if you do, you won't succeed. Don't, the risk isn't worth it. What we're doing is make, enticing people to take this risk, but not totally opening the borders. What we have is open-ish borders. So people end up taking these risks because they think, and they're right, that the odds of a payoff of getting released into the country are high enough that it's worth taking these risks. So we're causing doubt. I mean, we're, we're, I think we're partly responsible for it. I think DeSantis it. made that point recently, too, that the yeah. President Biden has blood on his hands. Absolutely. Because he of does. what they're doing. Now, we look, the smugglers and the criminals, obviously, they're at fault. Yes. And the illegal immigrants themselves, look, they're adults. I mean, they're making this decision, so they bear part of the responsibility. They just do. But we bear a share of it ourselves because we're enticing them to do these things. Mark Kikorian is always. Always great to talk to you from uh, the Center for Immigration Studies. And also, we're going to put his article from the corner uh, on our uh, Getter page uh, today. So you can read that. It'll give you some, because he's talking about Martha's Vineyard and all of that. It'll be something to share with your friends. So we encourage you to do that. Uh, thanks for listening this morning. I'll be right back. Don't go away. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Andy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Especially simple map of Martha's Vineyard and the United States and a brief brochure containing snippets from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts website and instructions to change their address with USCIS when they relocate it. This is especially troubling as anyone with even the most basic understanding of the immigration proceedings knows that USCIS was not the agency with whom the migrants would have to record their addresses and has nothing to do with their cases in any way. It is clear that this was an intentional attempt to ensure that these migrants were removed in absentia when they failed to change their address with the proper agency. This was a purposeful derailment designed to prevent people from complying with federal immigration. All right, Sandy Rios with you. We are live uh, again on the top of uh, Fox News Channel headquarters uh, where I worked for many years, and it's really nice to be here. This is uh, just another, we have an, another guest, and I have, uh, John has been my guest, uh, you know, 
over the airway several times, but we've never met face-to-face, so it's kind of nice. Welcome, John. Thank you, Sandy. Nice, nice to meet you. Nice to see you. Uh, John is the Director of Homeland Security and Immigration at the America First Policy Institute. And before we even get into the content here, John, the last time you and I spoke, you may not even remember this, but I asked you a question that ended up being very prescient. I said, uh, Stephen Miller is the founder. He's your, whatever his title is, he's the boss there. And I asked you if the FBI had, you know, ruffled any feathers over there. And you said, no, not yet. No, we haven't had any problems. And I think it was the very next day when the FBI did that full bore raid on like 50 Trump supporters. And Stephen was one of them. I don't know if he he got a subpoena, right? I don't actually know, but it's possible. Yes, well, I, I, according to sources that I have, he got him subpoenaed. So anyway, that's, I just thought it was pretty ironic that I had just asked you that question. It's a dangerous place right now, isn't it? Uh, we are in a fragile moment. Yeah. Uh, it's more fragile than any moment we've probably had in American history. And, you know, it's funny because I, I wasn't around during some of these other moments in life, but, uh, you know, figure people were stressed out, worried about the future of the country during the Civil War, during mm-hmm. World War II, for very different reasons, but those were, to some degree, those were external threats, mm-hmm. not so much the Civil War. This is a purely internal problem. The only thing that would ever destroy this republic is the damage being done by the current administration and stuff like it, so we have to be really concerned, and we can't take this for a moment, mm-hmm. uh, for granted, rather. Mm-hmm. We'll circle back on that at a later date, but mm-hmm. I just wanted to mark that. Now, you just heard the voice of the uh, attorney, Rachel Self, who, you know, Promptly, when the 50 illegal immigrants were dropped off at Martha's Vineyard on buses by Governor Ron DeSantis and the people of Martha's Vineyard flipped out and called out 125, you know, troops to remove them to a a base, even though they are a sanctuary city, uh, this uh, Rachel comes out and starts making these statements. And now, as I understand it, there are lawsuits being filed against DeSantis by, uh, you know, on behalf of the immigrants. I don't know much about the details of that. Can you explain that and if there, it has any you know, foundation? Yeah, so the little bit I know about it, Sandy, is that um, this attorney decided to start a class action suit with a handful of the illegal aliens that were dropped off in Martha's Vineyard. Uh, as a reminder, uh, they plus two million plus individuals have crossed our border illegally in the last two years under Joe Biden. And... Um, you know, I think that what happened was with Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis in different venues, they've said, we're literally not going to accept your illegal aliens. We're shipping them somewhere else. Um, we've heard you guys are a sanctuary jurisdiction and you you love illegal aliens and no person's illegal. So here you go. And they, they pitched a fit. And it goes it shows several things, one of which is, I think, uh, uh, the, the left hypocrisy truly knows no bounds. You know, when it's a political talking point about how they love all people and they love all comers. And then 50 people show up in one of the wealthiest counties in the country and they flip out, and within 48 hours, they are transported <laughs> uh, to somewhere else. It does show that, like, it turns out the left doesn't love illegal immigration. They just love the damage it causes to red states. And they, they also, uh, what's really funny is it turns out you can actually do something quickly with illegal aliens when you want to have it done. Oh, isn't that interesting? That's a very good point. You know, uh, what strikes me, too, there was a Border Patrol agent, Brian Terry, who was killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like it was during the gun running. Fast and Furious? Fast and Furious when Obama was president. And remember that a lawsuit was brought by an illegal immigrant across the border against, I think it was against Terry, or some uh, one of our agents for shooting him in the rear end. And they had this big court case that lasted forever. That was under the Bush administration. And there was a precedent for the wacky view of the legal community when it comes to the differences between Americans and non-citizens. It's amazing, isn't it? It really is amazing. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, the Terry case you mentioned just now, uh, gentleman gave his life for, for his service, and um, people who were non-citizens 
are responsible for his death, and then people sued in court for. I mean, there, I remember there was another case where two border patrol agents uh, wound up having to kill two illegal aliens for because they were violent toward them, and the George W. Bush administration didn't even uh, didn't even give them pardons. I know they commuted their sentences, but big deal. You know like, that that's the case. I'm actually I was morphing two cases together. Okay, that's a separate case, and you're right. There were two of them. I interviewed their wives and them. One of them when they got out of prison, it was amazing. Yeah. So Sandy, yeah, so. about this case and Martha's Vineyard. If yeah. I was Governor Ron DeSantis or worked in his office, I'd say, take this opportunity to depose every single one of those human beings. Put them in front of, get them down for a deposition, and under the penalty of perjury, ask them who paid for them to come here, which organizations helped them get here, who helped them get transportation. Ask them all these questions. You might be able to break open a trafficking ring. And it might be the, they might regret filing in this case, actually, if they did it right. Well, he might think of that, you know. If anybody would, anybody would think of it besides you, uh, Governor DeSantis might actually think of that. I'll call him when we get off the air. <laughs> anyway, John, you wrote the most interesting little uh, briefing. I don't, I don't know. It was because after you took a, a recent trip to the border, what you observed was the unfinished wall. And, you know... That means some something to all of us, but you had some particular observations that were pretty amazing to me. Um, like, what did what did it look like? Describe what you saw. Yeah, so Sandy, the the news that the Biden administration has refused to complete the wall is not news. We've heard this. We've heard that they've paid contractors to not finish the wall. That's not news. And we know that there's been material just sitting there. So I have had the privilege of being in Arizona along the border near Sierra Vista this past week. And what we saw was basically that not only has the Biden administration failed to follow the law and use taxpayer dollars appropriately, but they, they're putting federal, and state, local, federal, state, and local law enforcement at tremendous risk. And what I mean by that is this. So there are these piles of the, the fence that wasn't built sitting in the sun. It's like 10, 12 feet high, hundreds of yards in a row. Uh, then you've got these giant piles of aggregate gravel that they were going to use to finish the road. Um, they've turned off the fiber optic sensors on the fence that was designed to let Border Patrol know when someone's trying to get over the fence or weld through the fence. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the net effect of they, they refuse to finish the lights. Um, one of the things that really becomes clear is the law enforcement said to us, they, they've created this thing called the fatal funnel. I said, what's the fatal funnel? The fatal funnel is basically a tunnel where they've got these giant piles of material on this one side. And they've got the fence on this other side. You know, law enforcement, if they get caught in a pinch and they come across a cartel guy having a bad day, they'll start shooting at them or stab them. There's no northern egress. So it actually makes people more more endangered. It puts law enforcement in a more dangerous, precarious position because they have an open borders policy and those lives are expendable for the sake of their political gain. You also described some kind of an opening. It's kind of a flood opening. I, I don't remember the exact name. Uh, explain what's going, the danger of what's going on there. So absolutely. So, um, you know, getting back to the, the wall, they've turned off some of the value of the wall. So the wall still exists. It's still there. It's still a very valuable obstacle. The holes on either side, you know, you can go around it, obviously. Um, people still go over because the sensors, those fiber optic sensors are turned off. There's welding through um, it. They've turned off all the lights along the border. So be, to be clear, the Biden administration has turned off the lights and the sensors be, so that those are way of de- deterrence, and they've turned that all off. Correct. All the technology that made what we had this called the smart wall, what made it smart, they've, yeah. they've dumbed it. They've, they basically shut off the technology. So, but the floodgate question, so because of the location on the border, there are spots along the border where um, there is just flash flooding, there's north-south water flow, and you have to have a floodgate installed or you risk damaging the wall or its foundation. That makes sense. This was built over the years, even under the Trump administration. What they've done is they've literally opened the floodgates. 
So they opened it probably like on January 21st, 2021, and they never closed them. The gates are open, so you don't need to climb a wall when you can go through a six-foot-high gate. And we, you know, I, we asked the guys who were showing us this. They said, when's the last time this was closed? They're like, maybe the spring. I'm not even sure if it was closed then. It's September. Uh, so, you, again, you, you don't even have to duck. You can just walk through. And so that's what they're doing. And you yeah. say the Border Patrol is leaving now. Of course, it's the Border Patrol under the uh, uh, Mayorkas, the rule of Mayorkas. They're doing his bidding. That's, so they're leaving them open. That's correct. I'm pretty okay. sure. that'd be. A, I mean, I'd love for someone to investigate how long those gates have been open and reveal the truth about that. But, yeah, um, yeah I know the Border Patrol is being told not to do certain things. But at the, at the end of the day, they have to follow the law. We saw one Border Patrol vehicle the whole time. Uh, it wasn't near the fence. There was We didn't see a... So we were there, I'd say, for a grand total of seven to eight hours on two separate days and two separate spots along the border. Didn't see a Border Patrol vehicle. Didn't see a guy in green. Didn't see anything along the wall. And so the wall's great. Uh, and it's, but the board, even the Border Patrol, when we were there, would say, look, the, the left loves to say, you build a 30-foot wall, they build a 31-foot ladder. That's fantastic. The reality of the wall is it stops a lot of people, but it also slows a lot of people down. Right? right, so sure. Border Patrol still needs to get there to stop people. If of there's course. no one there, the cartels know this. They have greater operational control of the border than we do. Yeah. They know when they're not around. Yeah, yeah so, you know, I just uh, read an, um, something, a story about something that happened at the border, and only one there was only one patrolman there, and he could, ju- could just not stop it. And I talked to Brandon Judd this morning, and he said every day, you know, he's a Border Patrol agent for 25 years. Uh, he's uh, also the, uh, the head of a, a Border Patrol union. He said it's just so discouraging. Every day they go to work and they just their hands are tied. They can't, you know, all the fentanyl, everything. They're just so hamstrung. They can't do anything. And of course, remember the the border patrolmen. We just have to say on the horses who were, you know, accused of whipping illegal immigrants in the water when they were just trying to manage their horses. And the report is that there was they were not. They didn't whip a single illegal immigrant. Doesn't matter. They were still punished by the border patrol. So they just. You know, it's kind of like our domestic police now. They, they can't win for losing. Sandy, they've done everything they can to drive people out of the Border Patrol. Uh, it's almost like if you had to come up with a strategy that would be designed to get as many men and women to retire from the Border Patrol, this is the strategy. Crush their mission, prevent them from doing their job, uh, you know, attack them in public when they do nothing wrong, force them to get a vaccine, quote-unquote, shot that does not actually a vaccine and drives out people who are... Causes myocarditis and uh, all kinds of medical problems, yes. You're more likely to drive out people who are law enforcement-minded. But anyway, yeah. So, Sandy, you mentioned fentanyl. I want to make an important point. Uh, So the cartels have figured out that Joe Biden's open border policy presents a tremendous opportunity for them to increase their earnings on fentanyl. And what I mean by this is they've basically figured out, they've got it down with science, really, that they can push 50 or 60 aliens across the border at a given moment. They know the Border Patrol will pick them up and they'll process them, and I'm using air quotes. What that means is they'll take them to a Border Patrol station and give them an airplane ticket, yeah. right? Uh-huh. But while that's happening, the Border Patrol is saturated. They, they don't, they're not coming back anytime soon. There's no surprise unit ready to come out and handle they know that that's a window for them to get as much fentanyl across the border as possible. So Joe Biden's open borders policy is killing children across the country with fentanyl, and they're okay with it. They are trying to separate it. They cannot be allowed to separate it. The cartels have operational control of the border. You know, I think sometimes when the Democrats say the border is secure, they're not lying. The border is secure. It's securely run by the cartels, and they have total operational control. And once they get those, you know, illegal aliens provide for perfect cover for getting drugs across the border. Not to mention the fact that it gives them a labor force because, you know, they'll get, they'll get some poor guy, who, not poor guy, he probably paid to be shipped here. They'll get him to the middle of the Mexican desert and tell him his fee doubled. 
and say, don't worry, you can work it off for us when you get to the States. And that means drug trafficking and all sorts of other illegal activities. So, it, When you talk about, the, well, just let's go to the deaths for a second. I he- I've heard DeSantis and others say out loud, uh, not quietly, and he, they're right. The Biden administration is responsible for murder. They are killing, our, they're allowing the murder of our children and young adults, and for the most part, on fentanyl. They are allowing illegal immigrants who are lying by the thousands in the desert between us and the and the border. It's it is just an atrocity. It is just you know what I. I think one thing that's happening, John, I think the American people, and I'll include myself, we're so overwhelmed with everything. It's like we've, we're kind of numb to the, the, the gravity of this. This is one of the, if not the biggest threat, one of the greatest threats to the sovereignty of this country. I think you're 100% right. You know, the, and, but like you said, the, you know, the word numb is in numbers, right? People they can only feel so much. But, and that's why I think this Martha's Vineyard story is so potent because... It's, a, it's an academic subject for people until people are literally walking around in your backyard, you know, talking to landowners. Literally, they say, every day, imagine if this happened wherever you lived. Every morning at 8.30, there's a group of 60 people standing on your lawn. A half hour later, the Border Patrol picks them up, takes them away, and the same thing happens again day after day after day. Or you don't have that, or you have that. Plus, at night, you see eight guys dressed in military fatigues coming across the border who don't want to get caught and turned over to the Border Patrol. That's actually one of the other things that came out of the trip, which is they are seeing more and more out in the open, broad daylight, military fatigues, guys marching in single file. They're not even hiding it anymore. This is an army of military-aged men coming from God knows where, entering the United States with Joe Biden's permission. And you know that uh, there was one Venezuelan who was uh, interviewed at Martha's Vineyard. He seemed very innocuous, just like I think the Venezuelans have suffered. So my heart went out to him because he just seemed like a family guy and just open and answering the questions, not deceptive, you know. And he he was asking, was the border open? Oh, yes, we, yeah, we came, we're, we're illegal. We just walked right in. There's no, you know, just very honest and open. Um, And for every one of those kind of wonderful people who actually might improve our country because they might have a hard work ethic and appreciation. They're probably going to remove him tomorrow, Sandy. Yeah, exactly. Well, he's, he's probably on the first plane out, right? So uh, it's really uh, fascinating. It's very much a threat to the country. And I really don't know what we're going to do if we don't win this election. I'm with you. But, uh, you know, state and local action is important. We shouldn't give up on that. But, yeah, I hope we, I hope so, too. Well, I say to my audience, I'll say again, do not desert the field yet. We've got all these great people on the front lines like you. Uh, so many of our friends, so many of the guys in the, the Capitol who are just swinging. There's just a few of them, but man, they're fighting. And as long as they're on the field, we cannot desert it. And so uh, we're gonna we're gonna stay we're gonna stay the course and keep fighting until we can't fight anymore. John Drozdny. Just call me John. John John, thanks a lot. It's really nice to talk to you and to see you face to face. We'll talk to you again. Thank you so much. All right, this is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio.
is the guy who spent multiple years traveling to every border town from El Paso to Del Rio to Laredo, yeah, been all, over all over, as well as on the Mexican side from the southern tip of uh, Tapachula, traveled 7,000 miles with the caravan out of Honduras. I even went to the Panamanian jungle trying to show, as Bill Malusian and others are trying to show, the crisis at our border. Unprecedented numbers. We're but still waiting for others. Well, it this. only took two plane loads of 50 migrants to be dumped into a billionaire's backyard to get the whole country talking about what we should have been talking about in the very beginning, and that is this crisis of why they're coming here, Howie. They're coming because this administration's policies are pulling them in record numbers. The number of migrant deaths that the administration does not want to talk about and will not publish as of yesterday was 782, 30 in this month of September alone. 30 migrants have died trying to get here, right. and yet they won't talk about it. That is a crisis that needs to be addressed, and these border towns can't hold them. It, they don't have the, the capability. Del Rio has a population of 35,000. They had 50,000 migrants come there okay. in July. All right, that was Griff Jenkins, a really uncharacteristic passion. I mean, he's a great reporter, but he was speaking as a commentator at that point, and his emotion really spilled over. I thought that was really powerful as he described what he's seen through the years covering the border. Jessica Vaughn um, is uh, just one of the most, I don't know, sought-after pundits on this issue in this city. Uh, she's very articulate. She's been with the Center for Immigration Studies since 1982. Uh, she is an expert. She's testified before Congress. She was a Foreign Service Office officer with the State Department, and uh, she's written for the Washington Post, the New York Times, National Review, and on, on, on I could go. But Jessica, every time I talk to you, you're just a wealth of information. So I'm looking forward to picking your brain today. Thanks for joining me. It's my pleasure. But I have to say, not since 1982. Oh, that's, what that's when I graduated from college. Well, you know what I, I mean, I just dated myself. But <laughs> 92. You should tell these guys, this is what it says in here. You know, that's what's funny that you say that because Wikipedia, you know how they love conservatives. When you look on the Wikipedia page, they have made, they like added 20 years to my age for a long time. I mean, like they, it was like I'd look at that and, and they did that on purpose, you know. But I don't think the guys at FAIR did that on purpose. No, I, we I are, hope not. <laughs> we're, by the way, we're at uh, Hold Their Feet to the Fire 2022, and uh, it's just fun to be here. We have a lot of very, a lot of talk show hosts with very loud voices. So if you hear some cackling in the next booth well that's the reason but that's just part of the fun of it yeah jessica you know for a long time i have to confess something to you um i've heard about human trafficking for years you know human trafficking human trafficking and I, a lot of it i greeted with a yawn because i felt it was kind of a fad in mm -hmm. this country yes in it, this country yes like people were taking it on and i'm thinking what are you what are you talking about but now i now Things have changed, and I, it certainly has my attention. I get this now. You just came back from Houston where you were doing work or studying or speaking about... Helped organize a conference. Okay. All right, so explain to us... All right, I like we don't know, but what, what would be your definition of human trafficking? Human trafficking is... Well, there are two forms of it, commercial sex trafficking and forced labor trafficking, and it involves... Um, uh, it's someone profiting off another human being and either forcing or coercing them or tricking them into labor, whether it's at uh, a factory or a poultry farm or in someone's household or in prostitution by force. Force, fraud, or coercion. So we can certainly 
see that where the what's happening at the border is taking place and all these right. women. It, it's not, by the way, what Governor DeSantis is doing when oh, he's... Oh, really? <laughs> that was a, it was tra- they ripped through the traffic, though. They rode in a bus. They were trafficked to... I'm sorry. Yes, well, that's how ridiculous it's all getting, isn't it? Right. <clears throat> well, yes. But, I mean, it, it's a very serious... We're laughing, but it's a really serious issue. And I, I agree with you that for a long time it was um, somewhat... that You know, there was a lot of attention to it um, to pass legislation, part of which uh, has led to the problem that we have today. Seriously, the border, seriously. The, uh, Explain the, that. The, uh, the Trafficking Victim Protection Act, right. uh, which when that was updated in 2008, there was a provision put into it that said that children who arrived from non-contiguous countries, that's any country besides Mexico or Canada, would have to be allowed to stay, turned over to the Department of Health and Human Services and placed in either with family members or or a foster care situation. So that's what set up this crisis of unaccompanied minors that we have today, which has been made worse by the Biden administration's uh, disastrous policies of catch and release for almost anyone. And what they are doing is creating business opportunities for the traffickers. And the traffickers are really taking advantage of them. And it happens in a lot of different ways. The most insidious kind, of course, is the kids, where you see fake families arise, where um, they, uh, where migrants will cross with a child that is not theirs uh, as a way of trying to be able to stay here. These for, uh, fake birth certificates, uh, and other ways to try to fool the border patrol, um, and but the the more common kind that we see is when people pay a smuggler to get across because you know the, the smugglers have an easy sell because it's very likely that anyone who crosses now is going to be allowed to stay, um, and whether they're coming with a child or not, but they they um, are will sign quote unquote contracts with their uh, smugglers uh, to work at a certain, in a certain job to pay off their smuggling debt and also end up paying far and beyond that. Essentially what happens is they end up in indentured servitude. It might be at, say, uh, an auto parts factory in Alabama, which is a real case where there have been families with uh, uh, young teenagers working there supposedly to pay off their debts. Um, it also happens, um, for example, when um, these kids come across. There was a really horrific case recently where um, a, a guy persuaded a woman in Guatemala to turn over her 10-year-old daughter, uh, told her that he would take her to the United States and she'd be able to go to school and have a better future. And this not very bright woman did that. So this guy's been deported himself already seven times. So when he tried to cross with this little girl, he was found out immediately, and the Border Patrol had him in their system. As soon as they fingerprinted him, they're like, yeah, you're out of here. But they took, they had to take the girl, the 10-year-old girl. They couldn't send her back. Him. No, they, they had didn't. to place her because they of that could law. have. Because they, of the, oh. Right. The, well, they could have eventually. There are ways, I think, in policy to do it. But under the current policy, they, uh, this was under the Obama administration, she had a piece of paper with this guy, bad guy's sister's name on it and phone number. She ends up in central Illinois working as a slave in the household like Cinderella, only, you know, zillions of times worse. Five years later, they finally found her. She, she 
like blipped on the radar because she had a miscarriage. She's like 15 at this time. She, not only had she been a household slave, the, um, the sons of the woman who was her sponsor were raping her periodically and making her work in a factory and they found another 12-year-old girl, same story. This is facilitated by our foolish policies of not, of just releasing kids and without questions asked about who they're being released to with no well child checks or household checks after they place them. It's like, you know, this, you know they want to get them out of government custody as soon as possible and they become the problem of the state and local governments. But this is what happens. This is what we're asking for with these policies. And, and I could go on and on with stories of horrific things that happen to people when they put their life savings and their themselves and their children in the hands of a criminal smuggling organization that um, and we look the other way at enforcing our immigration laws which could do so much to stop that there are so many opportunities to prevent cases like that first of all don't turn over the kid to the, the, the woman in Illinois where were the schools uh, not noticing that this child was hardly ever in school. What about the employer who's got te young teenagers working in a plastic factory? But something is wrong with this picture that at no time did any, in over five years, did anyone do anything? When it, finally a family member, distant family member was asking questions like, we're like what are the bruises on her arms? And you know, how, how does this happen? It's because we allow politicians and employers who benefit from this to define this border crisis as some kind of humanitarian event, the, that these wor people, workers are needed, that it's our obligation to take in all of these people instead of seeing it for the organized criminal enterprise that it is that is taking a human toll. The deaths that you've been talking about, um, and and it is I can't imagine any policy more immoral than the one that the Biden administration has. It's not necessary. It's not a force of nature. It's a choice. Just out of curiosity, when they come here, I'm assuming I guess because I want to, <laughs> that the home you're talking about was a, the home of some more illegal immigrants or immigrants mm -hmm. where she was trafficked. Yes. In this particular case, but the the factory was likely an American-owned company, you think? I mean, are, are, are America? you think that, um, yes, okay, and I know, I'm going to ask anyway. Americans are aware of this? Are the, these girls being boys, too, being trafficked to them in businesses and in sexual situations? Yes, they absolutely are, whether it's a massage parlor or a prostitution ring or a sandwich factory. That was another case in Illinois. Or uh, Hyundai has an auto parts plant in Alabama where a lot of these recent illegal border crossers have been working with uh, stolen identities to thwart e-verify, which is a program that the government has to allow businesses to check. Yes, um, and good program if we'd only used it. Right, right. or if state governments would only send their wage and hour people out to some of these places where it's happening right before our eyes. There are cases in Alabama, South Carolina, Georgia, horrific cases of forced labor trafficking that people try to rationalize by saying, well, that's a job an American won't do. Well, you know, <laughs> in the meantime, we have you know record levels of Americans who've dropped out of the labor force for a lot of different reasons. But that's how, in their minds, they, I, I guess it's too horrible for people to think about human trafficking. 
and instead they have to pretend that this is something benign or beneficial or humanitarian. I also think we just live we've had lived in such privilege sometimes people like the people of Mar- Martha's Vineyard it's all an it's all an exercise of the mind they're they're a sanctuary island you know we yes. welcome everyone no hate here and right. then you know they don't mean that they they don't they say it but they don't mean it it's just massive virtue signaling that has no meaning whatsoever right these are the same places that uh, like to pretend that any level of immigration legal or illegal is a great thing yeah. until it lands on their front porch right exactly well that's going to be that way with inflation you know when they say oh this is not a big deal and when they say the prices are stabilizing it's all it's just mass delusion is really what yeah. it is yeah it's gone beyond just spin yeah, exactly Jessica, you mentioned to me before we went on the air that you'd heard stories like from teachers. What are teachers saying about what they're seeing about uh, trafficking? Well, interestingly, um, the, the most frustrated people at this conference were the school resource officers, you know, but police officers who work in the school dis- in the school buildings. Um, it's sad that that some districts feel that they need that now, you know, but that's that's our modern society. But um, they are seeing examples of kids who are falling between the track, between the cracks. A, a lot of these um, unaccompanied minors. This was Houston, where we were, which has had more than 7,000 unaccompanied minors placed in Harris County, the county that includes Houston, just since wow. October. Oh my goodness! And uh, you know. A good number of them Into are the placed in a foster care situation or with a distant relative like a grandmother. And, and some, one of the officers was describing how there's a, there's a girl that he knows is being trafficked. And um, supposedly the grandmother is the guardian. But the grandmother has kicked her out because of the friends that she's fallen into, fallen in with, a gang. Also, probably, you know, the good likelihood, at least, that they're illegal immigrants, too. I shouldn't even use that term. Really, illegal aliens. And um, the grandmother won't take the kid back. They keep her in the school till 7 or 8 at night so that she doesn't go, because they know she's gone straight to the traffickers to be sex trafficked in the city. And there's nothing, you know, they're like, somebody help us with this. This And that's just one story out of 7,000 kids being dropped in Houston. It's amazing stories, Jessica Vaughn. And I'm as sad as they are, we need to hear about it. So thank you. Director of Policy Studies for the Center for Immigration Studies. And we're here at Radio Row. Hold their feet to the fire, which is exactly what we're doing. 2022 is doing everything we can to stop this. As we speak, we see the Capitol shining in the sunshine. So gorgeous.